Well, good morning. I'm so excited to be in the house of God this morning. Amen. The last couple of weeks, we have been in this series called Letter from Lockdown. And this has just been us taking a look at the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians is actually a letter that Paul wrote to the church of Philippi while he was in prison in order to encourage them. And so um, in the first couple of chapters, uh, Pastor Sean shared, and he kind of showed us some really encouraging things in this book. And then there was a few kind of really challenging things in this book as well. The first week we were encouraged that, that you know what, if we want to find joy, that we can find that joy in gratitude and in prayer, right? If we will pour out our words of thankfulness and pour out our words of prayer, we will find joy, And then last week, man, we were kind of really challenged because he said, don't only just pour out your words um, of gratitude and thankfulness, but we should actually pour out ourselves, everything that is inside of us until there is absolutely nothing left of ourselves. And the only thing that remains, the only thing that we have left to pour out is Jesus. Now that, that was powerful and encouraging, but also challenging, right? Because it's challenging to, to sift through and, and get rid of all that stuff that we identify with that is not in Christ. And so, you know, as I was reading through the book of Philippians, I've, I've, I've just enjoyed this time so much. But you know what? One of the most inspiring things to me about the book of Philippians is just the letter itself and its context. Okay, listen, hear me out here. Philippians is a book where, where Paul is sitting in a prison cell. He, he's in jail, and yet he's taking the time to write a letter to the church to encourage them. Now, maybe it's just me. I don't think I'm as spiritual as Paul, I guess, because if I was the one that was sitting in the prison cell, I'm pretty sure that's not what my letter would be about. It wouldn't sound like encouraging words to the church. In fact, it would probably sound like, hello, when are you going to get me out of here? Who's starting the GoFundMe page to pay my bail? Come on, guys, get with it. I'm in jail. Come bust me out of this joint. So obviously, it's a good thing for the early church, and it's a good thing for you today that Paul was the one in jail and not me, Okay. So this week, we're going to move on to chapter three, and I just want to point out a few things in this chapter that we can learn from Paul. So if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter three, and we're going to start reading um, in verses one through nine. If you don't have your Bibles, I'm pretty sure that it's going to be up here on the screens for you guys. So here we go. It says this, whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord, I never get tired of telling you these things, and I do it to safeguard your faith. Watch out for those dogs, those people who do evil, those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on Christ, what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in our human effort. Though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. 
I was a member of the Pharisees who demand the strictest obedience of the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through the faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with him depends on faith. Man. So the first thing I want us to notice here is, number one, what Paul left behind. What Paul left behind. You can, you can see in these first few verses of this chapter that, that Paul had chosen to leave behind a misplaced confidence. A misplaced confidence. You know, the, for all these years of Paul's life, he had built his life upon this misplaced confidence that, that it was that he could do something and he could be something that could make him right with God. You know, he, he goes and he gives us this long laundry list of things that, that he once put his confidence in. He gives us this long list of all the right things he was and all the right things that he did in order to be right with God. He, he tells us, you know what, hey, I, I'm from the right race. I'm I'm from the right race. I'm an Israelite. That's God's chosen people. I'm from the right race. Not only does he say he's from the right race, but he goes on to say, I'm I'm from the right family. The tribe of Benjamin, you know, that was a very prestigious tribe in Israel. I'm from the right family. Oh, and, and I did all the right rituals. Man, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I did all the right rituals. And, and, I followed the right religion, right? I, I, I did the right religion. I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's like saying, I was the most Jewish of all the Jews, right? I had the right religion and, and I had the right occupation. I was a, a Pharisee, which in our days would kind of be like, like a pastor or a teacher of the word. And, and he's like, I had the right occupation and, and I even had the right morality, the right morality because I outwardly kept all of God's laws You see, he had quite an impressive resume. He had all the stats to be God's number one draft pick. If you just look at it all on paper, it looks so great. But he had been putting his confidence in doing and being the right thing instead of putting his confidence in the right thing. And that right thing is Jesus That right thing is Jesus. And how many of us do the same thing today? You know, we take a look at our spiritual resume and we think, well, you know, it's not too bad. It's definitely not on Paul's status, right? I mean, like he's got it going on, but but mine's not too bad. I mean, you know, like my grandparents went to church and and my dad was an usher and, and maybe my mom, she sang in the choir. And then, you know, there's me, like I go to church like at least once a month as long as there's not a ball game on. And, um, you know, like, like I give sometimes if I see someone in need, I'll, I'll, I'll throw a few bucks to charity and, and Hey, I mean, I've never killed anyone. I mean, so right. Like, wow. I I think that's kind of what we look and we, we try to put our confidence 
in the oldest religion in the world, the do the best you can religion. Do the best you can. And we figure out, we figure that as long as we do our best and we at least try to keep some of the commandments and, and some of the rules, then when we die, God will just smile and shake his head and say, oh, come on in, little buddy. Right? That's what we think. But, but that is misplaced confidence. If, if we think that if we just try to do the right thing, that we can make ourselves right. But just like Paul, we have to leave behind that misplaced confidence and and put our confidence in the right thing. And that right thing is what Christ has done for us. We must put no confidence in our own human effort. And we must only rely on Jesus. Only rely on Jesus. You see, there's, there's a difference in where we put our confidence. It's kind of like the difference between the stairs in an elevator. Think about this. The stairs, when you have to walk up the stairs to get to the next level, what, what, it's hard. You know, you're, you're doing all the work and you're tired and by the time you get up to the top, or maybe this is just me, but the time you get up to the top, you're like, whew, it was hard. But when you get on an elevator, you just step right in and you have something else that takes you up, Right? You see, having the righteousness of God or being in right standing with God, it's like getting in the elevator of faith in Christ and then just letting his work take you right on up. It's not us. It's not us. See, righteousness isn't something that you do. It's something that Jesus does, and then we just get to receive it. Isn't that awesome? We just get to receive it. So number one this morning, what did Paul leave behind? He left behind his misplaced confidence. And I want to encourage you today, it's time for us to leave behind that misplaced confidence as well. The second thing I want us to notice is number two, what Paul pressed toward. What Paul pressed towards. So we're going to continue reading. Uh, Let's go to Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 10 through 14. And it says this. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. What is this one thing that Paul is pressing towards? What is this one thing that that is so great and so amazing that he was willing to leave everything else behind? In fact, he called everything else rubbish or garbage, junk. What is this one thing that he is pressing towards? In verse 10, it tells us that that one thing is knowing Christ. Knowing Christ, you know, not just knowing about Christ, but truly and actually knowing him. 
You know, this passage is super, super challenging to me because I think we could probably all agree and get behind Paul when he says, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. I'm like, yes, Paul, amen. Preach it, brother, yeah. But then the guy just don't know when to stop talking. I mean, he should have, that was the point, right? That, that would have, everybody would have been behind him. Yes, Paul, preach. But then he keeps talking and he goes on to say, I want to suffer with him. Whoa, Paul. <laughs> Whoa, there, you know, I mean, I was with you. I was on board. And then you just kind of went a little, a step too far. I want to suffer with you, Paul. Come on. And then not only does he stop there, but he even goes on to say, sharing in his death. Wow. That's intense, guys. Isn't that intense? And if I'm completely honest with you, I would say that I have spent most of my life trying to figure out ways to avoid suffering right? And I really don't think it's just me. I think it's, it's our world and the culture we live in. We're like suffering avoidant, right? We, we, we try to avoid the hard stuff. We don't want the pain. We don't want the suffering. Most of us, well, we spend our lives trying to work out situations and map everything out in such a way so that we might go around the struggle, right? Instead of having to walk right through it. We hold on to the world's motto that says, work smarter, not harder. And although that is a great slogan, and I'm not saying that it's necessarily wrong, it it looks great on a t-shirt, but sometimes some things that we need to learn, we just might miss out on when we're constantly trying to avoid the hard when we're trying to avoid the hard. So, so why would Paul have added this line? I mean, he was a preacher. Didn't he know to stop with the power of the resurrection? He, didn't he know that he had the people in the palm of his hands right there? Why would he have added this line? Why was he so eager to know and experience Christ also in his suffering? Well, perhaps it was that he understood the depth of a relationship, that to really know someone requires both. It requires both the good days and the bad days, the power and the suffering. You see, we can see it play out in our earthly relationships. You know, when you first start uh, getting to know someone or you first get married or dating someone, what do they call it? They call it the honeymoon phase, right? It's the honeymoon phase because everything is just sunshine and rainbows and, you know, you wake up in the morning and the, the sky is just a little bit bluer and you hear the birds chirping, just their song is just a little bit sweeter, right? Because everything's kind of going good and you're just getting started, getting to know each other and you haven't really had any major fights, you haven't really walked through any really hard things and so everything is just awesome. And, and sure, you, you, you know each other and, and you might even love each other, but the depth The depth is yet to be developed. You see, it's not until you walk through some stuff that you really start to get to know each other, right? You know, it's it's when you walk through the loss of a job or maybe the loss of a child or or maybe the struggles of infertility or, or maybe the disillusionment of a dream or financial hardships or health issues and, and the list goes on and on. There's a reason why our wedding vows say in sickness and in health, right? 
It's, it's because in walking through the suffering, that's where we really get to know the person that we're walking with. You know, how they respond to that suffering when all the fluff is taken away and we're stripped down to the most deepest and truest parts of our souls. Now, please, don't hear what I am not saying this morning. I am not saying that God causes our suffering. But what I am saying is that he can redeem it. And he can use it to help us to know him more. You know, I have never known the heart of God more than when we walked through a very dark season of loss a few years ago. We were suffering through miscarriages, and honestly, I was just completely broken inside. And I had never, ever experienced or known God in the way that I came to know him during that time. Now notice, I said that I, I didn't say that I had never understood God more. Because if I'm honest, I did not understand. I didn't understand the situation. I didn't understand what God was doing. I did not understand. I had questions. I still have questions. But in the moments of grief and in the moments of brokenness, Jesus was with me in such a sweet and a close and almost tangible way. You see, he held me together and he carried me when I just did not have it on my own. I just didn't have it. You know, through the suffering, I began to know Jesus more. And because of that suffering, I now know him as my comforter. I now know him as my confidant. I now know him as my strength. I now know him as the lifter of my head. I know him more because of the suffering. You know, I don't know where we as the church and myself included have gotten this idea that life in Christ is just going to be easy. It's just a walk in the park. You know, we definitely do not get that from Scripture. Because when I read about the life of Jesus... And when I read about his disciples and what they walked through, it was anything but easy. Jesus was mocked. He was rejected by man. He was disappointed and betrayed by the people that he loved and poured himself out into. Then he was even beaten and and crucified. Look at the disciples. It wasn't any better for them. They, they, this whole book is Paul in prison, right? They, they were put in prison. They were flogged. They were stoned. They even became martyrs, all because they chose this life in Christ and they chose to share it with others. You know, it's easy for us to say, we want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection but we can never fully know that power without also walking with him in suffering. They go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. There is no victory without first a battle, right? You see, Paul knew what he was signing up for. He knew that there would be suffering, yet he embraced it because he believed that knowing Christ was worth it. 
knowing Christ was worth it. You know what? He pressed on to knowing Christ because he had his focus set. He had chosen the best thing. He knew that the price was worth it. What about us today? What are we pressing towards? Are are we trying to know Christ? Are we willing to walk through the hard in order to get to know him better? Have we gotten to the point where we can honestly say that Jesus plus nothing equals everything? Jesus plus nothing equals everything? That's a hard statement to say, but honestly, where would we be if we would live our life in that, that kind of a way? if we truly believed that knowing Christ was worth it. This is going to lead us to our last point this morning, and that's number three. How do we follow Paul's model? How do we follow Paul's model? Um, We're going to continue reading the rest of this chapter, so let's start in verse 15 and go all the way to the end. It says this, Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and and learn from those who follow our example. For if Sorry, for I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. You see, Paul set out a model for us to follow, but but what made Paul so different? What is it about Paul uh, that helped him to just be able to proclaim with such boldness that everything apart from Christ was worth it? How was he able to live this life that exemplified the statement, Jesus plus nothing equals everything? How did he do it? Well, I think he gives us a clue in verse number 19 where he says, they only think about life here on earth, but we are citizens of heaven. You see, what makes Paul so different is that he understood eternity. He understood eternity. He knew that he was only a visitor here on this earth. He knew where he was headed. He knew that there was so much more. There was so much more. How would our lives be radically different if we could get a hold of this truth, if we would follow Paul's model and realize and have an eternity mindset? An eternity mindset. I brought this rope up here just to make a little illustration here, and I I just want you to see this rope, and this rope is going to represent, see, it's it's just long. It kind of goes on forever and ever. And this rope is eternity. And this little red part right here, this is our life here on earth. 
got all of eternity. And this is our life right here on earth. And you know, the crazy thing is that for some of us, all we think about is this little red part right here. We've got all of this, but all we think about, all we focus is just this little red part. We're, We're consumed by it. We go to bed thinking about it. We wake up thinking about it. We're, we're just, man, this, our eyes are only just focused right here on this little thing. You know, the Bible even says that how we spend this little red part will determine how we spend the rest of eternity. So, so if that's true and if we really believe that, then, then why do we spend so much of our time trying to make ourselves as comfortable as possible right here? We spend so much energy, so much time, so much effort, just, just trying to be comfortable right here. You know, we just, we're trying to, to do all we can to achieve and, and get all the earthly accolades and, and the positions and the money and the stuff just so we can enjoy it right here. When in reality, this life is just a blip on the radar. It's but a vapor here today and gone tomorrow. You see, Paul, he recognized the truth and he invested his life into pressing towards knowing Christ because he understood that in the end, that was all that mattered. That was all that mattered. How can we follow Paul's model by doing the same by reminding ourselves that this world is not our home. This is not it for us. That little red mark, that's not all we have to look forward to. Believers, there's more. There's more. How do we follow Paul's model? By setting our eyes on eternity with Jesus. I'll ask you the question again. How different would our lives be if we started living for eternity instead of for today? Living for eternity instead of for today. Our takeaway for the message today is this. Let's leave behind our misplaced confidence and recognize that the only confidence we have for our salvation is in Jesus. Let's press forward in knowing Jesus, not only in his power, but also in his suffering. And finally, let's remember that as believers, there is more than this life here on earth. We are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives.